We'll be in John chapter 4. John chapter 4 as we continue to look at our new theme uh, for 2020, Love Your Neighbor. And today we're going to be looking at Go Get Your Neighbor. Go get them or her. Go get them. Uh, John chapter 4, we're going to look at a story in the life of Christ uh, today. I did forget to mention, um, we do have a financial report back on the Cubbies. So if you would like to look at that, you can. Um, and it has up to date where we are with the budget and our spending and income expenses, all that stuff that's gone through from uh, September 1 on through December. So that's on the Cubbies. If you'd like to take a look at that, you're more than welcome to. If you have any questions about that, you can talk to James and uh, he will make up an answer. John chapter 4. He'll give you a true answer, I'm sure. John chapter 4. Let's read starting in verse number 5. It says, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou let living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall neither thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. We'll look at the rest of the story in the coming moments, but let's pray. Lord, I pray for your help this morning as we take a look at this story of the woman at the well. We have an example here uh, from Christ himself. We also have other teachings in this passage that we can learn from that will help us to do better when it comes to loving our neighbor. So this morning I ask that you'd help me to present this passage clearly and correctly. And Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts, that you'd clear our minds, that we may receive exactly what you'd have for each of us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So we see here this story. It's a relatively familiar story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. And I want us to look at really two main points today. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, uh, and, and we'll eventually look at this thought of go get your neighbor, which the Samaritan woman does. But I want us to start off by looking at this thought. We, last week we talked about loving your neighbor. It is a command of God. It's a very important command to love your neighbor as yourself. And we talked about different ways we could do that. We talked about who our neighbor is as well. But I want us to understand, number one this morning, that you are no more special than your neighbor. Many times we don't love our neighbor because we feel like we are better than them. We wouldn't admit to that. Uh, it's not something that we would say out loud. But in our hearts, oftentimes, the reason why we don't love our neighbor properly is because we feel like 
we are better than them. That they don't deserve our love. That there's for some reason, uh, for some cause, for some whatever, we don't love them because we feel like we're too good to love them. There is no race, there is no religion, there is no ethnicity, there is no class, there is no gender, there is no political view that will keep you, that should keep you from loving your neighbor the way that God tells us to do so. In verse number 9, we see the Samaritan woman uh, uh, responding to Christ. So Christ asks for water, or maybe even demands it, depending on how you take the, the phrase, give me to drink. And the woman here says to Christ in verse number 9, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest the drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. There is history between the Samaritans and the Jews. It really leads back to the Babylonian captivity, and then it builds from there over different, over different uh, uh, times. You see, in Nehemiah, the Samaritans were kind of a problem when he was trying to rebuild the wall. And, uh, and you see, throughout history, Samaria, uh, the Samaritans and the Jews, they just did not like each other. They did not get along. Uh, there were times even in Matthew where we read, I believe it's Matthew, where Christ says, don't go through Samaria, go around it. Uh, and, uh, and there wasn't Christ being, um, uh, nonetheless, we'd have to study that out more. But the, the point is this, the Samaritans and the Jews, they did not get along. So Jesus is sitting here at the well and this woman arrives and Jesus says, give me the drink. And she says, wait a second, why are you asking me to get you a drink? Why are you even speaking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman and you're a Jew. And Jews and Samaritans, they don't deal with each other. They don't talk to each other. They don't look at each other. They despise each other. Why are you asking me for water? And I believe this is an important lesson for us to be reminded that we have opportunities to share the gospel and we need to take them. <clears throat> Christ's disciples were gone getting food at the time, so it was just Christ here at the time. And this woman came and it was a prime opportunity for Christ uh, to present the gospel. In this case, he refers to it as the living water. And so she asked him, why are you asking me? And his response is, if you knew the gift <clears throat> that God had to offer, and you knew who you were talking to, you would not have asked that question. You would have asked a better question. You would have asked for water that will sustain you for eternity. Instead, you're wasting time asking the wrong question. Have you ever asked the wrong question to someone? <clears throat> uh, it happens, I believe, often for us. Uh, my kids, and I'm trying to teach them with this, they'll ask me a question. And my response to them is, that's not what you're trying to ask. Ask me the question you actually want to ask. Um, uh, the other day, Brett walked into the living room and he said, Dad, there's nothing for me to do. <laughs> I said, you're kidding, right? I said, there's all kinds of stuff for you to do. What are you actually trying to get to? What's the point you're trying to accomplish by saying... Dad, I don't have anything to do. Um, he wanted to do something specific, but he didn't ask that. He just said, I don't have anything to do. So I said, ask me what you want to ask me so we can get rid of all this charades and save ourselves 30 seconds in our life. Uh, just ask the question. Uh, there are different times where we, we, ask, uh, we kind of try to beat around the bush to get to the point, right? Maybe with our boss, we need some time off. So we walk into our boss's office and, and uh, we kind of hem and haw for a little while and try to figure out if he's in a good mood or a bad mood and, and try to figure out if he's going to let me get paid for missing this time as opposed to not get paid, whatever it is. Instead of just asking the question, we kind of, we ask different questions. 
sometimes we, we, uh, we say, how you doing? And that's really, we don't really care. <laughs> we're just asking because we're kind of supposed to and, and we're trying to get to a later point. My dad called me one day and he said, uh, uh, he kind of just started asking just really weird questions. Uh, just kind of strange, random. And I said, Dad, why, why did you call? I mean, my dad talked talk fairly often. Um, and I just knew that he wasn't calling to talk about the questions he was asking me. I said, Dad, why'd you call? And he eventually told me, well, I went to the doctor, and, and I said, okay, we could have gotten there a little quicker. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there are times that we just we ask different questions, and we say different things, and it's, and it's the wrong thing to, to ask. When we come to God, and we're, we're, we're talking to God, and we're praying to God, and we're asking God for different things, but we're not asking what we should be asking for. We have a greater need oftentimes than what we're actually asking. I've talked with people many times who say, I just feel um, wrong asking God or praying for myself. I said, well, well, you shouldn't feel wrong because God tells us to do that. If you have a need, you take it to God. And they say, well, there's just so many more important things going on in the world than my little problems. And I said, that's true. But God cares about you. And he cares about your problems, and he can handle your problems and the greater world problems as well. And so go to him and ask for the needs that you have. Now this woman didn't know who Christ was, but uh, Christ here was taking an opportunity with the gospel. Uh, in verse number six, <coughs> excuse me, it says that uh, Christ, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. He was tired. As we remember. Christ on the earth, he was 100% man and still 100% God. And being 100% man, he got tired. We see many times in Christ's lifetime where he took time to rest, to relax, to, 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 to get away a little bit, get away from people. He had mobs of people following him and he needed some quiet time. And he got away and he would rest because he was tired. In this place, case, he was tired as well. Yet, when the opportunity came with this Samaritan woman, he took the opportunity. We need to remember that our day or our circumstances are not worse than eternity in hell. And oftentimes we'll say, well, I'm not going to talk to that person about Christ today because I'm having a bad day. Because I'm going through something right now and they can wait. Now again, we don't think about this in our minds, and we would never verbally say, I don't care that that person's going to hell, I'm having a bad day. But our reaction is just that. I'm tired. I worked all week. I'm not going to go out and try to talk to someone about Christ, because I'm tired. Now listen, there is, we need relaxation. We need rest. It's important. But so oftentimes we use the excuse that I need rest, so I'm not going to take the opportunity that God is giving me to talk to this person. Christ was wearied, but an opportunity arose and he took it. In verse number 9, again we see uh, where this uh, woman is saying, well, we don't have any dealings together, Jews and Samaritans. This is, this is not applying to Christ, but I believe it helps us to remember your dislike for someone should not send them to hell. Your dislike for someone should not be the reason they go to hell. Because you didn't love them enough to share the gospel with them. The Bible says, how shall they hear without a preacher? It's not without a pastor. It's not without uh, someone in a church pulpit. It's without someone proclaiming the gospel to them. How will they hear if no one tells them? The Bible is very clear about that, and yet 
oftentimes our dislike or our fear, um, it, it causes us then to not share the gospel, and because of that, someone is another step closer to hell because we didn't do our part. That's humbling, because if we think about it on a daily basis, the people we come across on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis, the people we come across that we don't share the gospel with, uh, the people we pray for that need to be saved if they're not in our town, um, and even if they are, I always pray and ask God to send another person, not, not in place of, but someone else, more people, come along the way and share the gospel with them as well. Sometimes they need to hear it from more than one person. Sometimes they need to hear it from a different person. <coughs> the point is this. Don't allow your dislike of a person to be the, the reason why they never hear the gospel. In verse number 17 and 18, Christ, in speaking to the woman, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus says in verse 16, Go call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast five husbands, or had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast, who you're living with, is not your husband. And that saidst thou truly. Christ is... Uh, uh, teaching us and her at the same time. It's, the gospel needs to be presented to her not because she's a filthy Samaritan, but because she's a wicked sinner. And oftentimes we think, well, I'm not going to witness to that person because they are friends with this person or they are associated with this thing or whatever it is where we, we kind of write people off, yet God says, but they're a sinner just like you. It's not that because they're a Samaritan they need Jesus, it's because they're a sinner they need Jesus. It's not because that they're uh, uh, relatives with this person you hate that they need Jesus, it's because they're a sinner that they need Jesus. And every single human being on the earth is the same way, a sinner that needs to be saved by the grace of God. And yet oftentimes we, we spend so much time trying to tell them, well, it's because you're a Democrat and because you believe in abortion's fine, and because you believe uh, this thing and that thing, and because of your political views, you need Jesus. Well, guess what? I've met a lot of filthy Republicans. It has nothing to do with the political view, and that's why they need Jesus. It's because they're a sinner. Your child, being raised in a Christian home, needs Christ just as bad as what you think is the wickedest person on earth. It doesn't change. And Christ here points out, because in verse 9 she says, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew, why are we even talking? And ultimately it comes back to this, where Christ says, you're a sinner and I'm the Savior. That's why we're talking. Now I'm not the Savior, but I have access to the Savior. I'm not the Savior, but I have the good news of the Gospel, which the Savior gave me. And it is my responsibility to share that with people, no matter who they are, or what they think, or how different they are from me. Be an example to other believers. Look in verse 27. Uh, it says, And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with the woman. The disciples came and they see Jesus talking with this Samaritan woman, and they were amazed by this. 
Your example can help other Christians break through the barriers of prejudice. There are, there are some Christians who, for whatever reason, will not talk to someone of a different race than them. But if they see you talking to someone of a different race, all of a sudden they go, I can do that. There are people who will not talk to a certain, if I can use the word, class of citizen. Homeless, poor, um, people who, who you look at and you just know they're, they're different. They, they, their clothes are always dirty. Um, maybe they're drunks. That's uh, not all of them, so please understand I'm just using examples. And they say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to go talk to them. And then usually it's out of fear. I'm not going to go talk to them. But all of a sudden they see someone else standing there with the Bible and talking with them. They go, they survived. I can do that too. Uh, one of the evangelists that always preached at the camp, his name's Ron Riley, and he runs an evangelistic uh, week every year at Daytona Beach. They go down during spring training. They take teenagers from youth groups, and they train them and work with them beforehand. And they go to the beaches of Daytona Beach during spring break, and they share the gospel. No adult is involved in sharing the gospel. The adults are there simply to supervise and make sure the teenagers are okay. And Brother Riley tells stories of these little four-foot-nine teenage girls standing amongst uh, six uh, NCAA Division I football players with a New Testament in her hand and sharing the gospel with them. And all the times that I've heard Brother Riley tell stories of this Daytona Beach trip, it makes me realize it doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't matter who they are, you have the gospel and you can talk with other people about it. And so many times we'll make up excuses for why we can't, but God says uh, you're supposed to. And Christ was our example of this. He went to people whom his disciples would not have gone to had Christ not done it also. And we see that this, this example that we can be to others. We have a visitor walk in the door, and they don't look like the rest of us. It should not matter. But sometimes it takes the first person to go up and make friends and be neighborly. And it will encourage the other people that are a little behind to be neighborly also. Be an example. Take the lead and go first. You're no more special than your neighbor. If you can remember that, it will help us to be neighborly the way that God intends for us to be. Number two, I have a question for you. Have you met Jesus? If the answer is yes, yes, then go get your neighbors. Introduce them as well. We see here in this story, look in verse 28. Uh, the disciples had, had just came back in verse 27 and saw Christ uh, um, talking with the Samaritan. Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all the things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She responds by, after talking with Christ, so in verses... Um, 
Uh, let's, look, let's look back and see exactly what Christ was saying. Uh, verse number 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall, not, shall uh, thirst again, uh, but whoso drinketh of the water that I give him shall never thirst. She says in verse 15, still not truly comprehending what he was saying, she says, give me this water that I may not thirst, and so I don't have to keep coming back up to this well all the time. Uh, right? And so she says, she says I, I would like this. This is a good thing. Uh, I, this would be great. Can I have this? Christ continues, verse uh, 16, with go call your husband. They go through that uh, interaction. Verse number 19, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, ye know not what, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh God, or seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. A woman saith unto Him, I know that Messiah cometh, the Messiah, which is called Christ. When He is come... He would tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. He says, guess what? The Messiah is right here in front of you. That's me. And I've just told you all things. At this point, we don't see her belief on Christ. We will see it in a moment. But we see Christ having this conversation with this woman, and it's beginning to click with her now. At first it was, hey, I need this water that I'm not going to get thirsty anymore, and I don't have to take this hike up to the well every time. Now she's begin it's beginning to click with her. Oh, wait a second, I've heard about Jacob. I've heard about different things. I've heard that there's a Messiah coming. You sound like a prophet, prophesying of this Messiah that's going to come. And yet Christ says, that's me. We see here this woman and her belief beginning to come. And then all of that, then she goes and she tells the men of the city, come and see this Christ. <clears throat> uh, surely this has to be him, right? She says, is not this the Christ? She says, everything that he's told me, the things that he knows about me, um, the things that he said to me, this has to be him. Come and see. Look in verse... Um, well, let's just keep reading. Uh, then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile... Uh, let's skip over that. The disciples are having a conversation with Christ. Verse 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying, True, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor, and other men labored, and ye are entered into uh, their labors. Look in verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And more, many more believed because of his own words, and said unto the woman, now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and now that is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. 
So we come back to the question, have you met Jesus? If you have, go get your neighbors. Uh, last uh, three things. Number one, what's your purpose? What's your purpose in life? As a Christian, what's your purpose? Verse 34, Christ said to the disciples, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. The disciples were talking about eating again. Um, in verse 31, uh, His disciples prayed Him saying, Master, eat. Uh, you're hungry. You're weird. Remember, He's tired. That's why He's sitting at the well. And the disciples were trying to do good, but they were missing out on exactly what was happening. And Christ said, My purpose... It's not to eat, but it is to do the will of God. It's to do the will of Him that sent me. What is your purpose? It ought to be to do God's will. To do what God has called you to do. To do what God has told you to do. And we've been through this before. What's God's will for my life? That's a hard question to answer. It really is basically simple, at least in the present time. Read your Bible. Pray with God. Go to church. Share the gospel with everybody. That's God's will for every single Christian's life. So we do these things, and it ought to be our purpose to accomplish God's will in our life. Number two, what is your priority? Verse number 35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. What's your pri uh, priority? What's your, uh, 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 what's your purpose? What's your priority? God says, quit saying that in four months the harvest comes. If you'll just open up your eyes, you'll see the field is ready. A Samaritan woman at a well. The disciples probably would have walked right by and not spoken to her. Christ says, quit saying that when we get to this next town, then we can start preaching. Look, open your eyes. They're right here in front of us. And that's what we're talking about this year with Love Your Neighbor. We have been focusing on worldwide evangelism and supporting missions across the globe. But look, the field's right in front of you. And it's ready. It's ready for someone to, to share the gospel with. He talks about the sower uh, and the reaper here in verses 36 and verse 37. And that there's some that sow and another that will come and reap. And I've sent you to reap something that's already been sowed. He said, you're, you're, you're reaping someone else's labor. Someone else planted, now you're coming along and reaping. And sometimes that's the way it works. Sometimes the seed is planted by someone else. And then all of a sudden we come along to a co-worker and we start talking about church. We start talking about God and they say, you know what, my grandma used to tell me about this God. And all of a sudden we realize, hey, this person's ready to be reaped. This person just needs to be reminded of what his grandmother told him. There are still people, and we're losing this in America, there are still people who grew up in church that haven't been to church in a while. They grew up hearing the message of the Bible, but they've been out of it and away from it for a while now. And all of a sudden we start talking to them and they start being reminded of what they were taught as a child. I'm telling you, though, we're losing this in America. It won't be but another decade and all of a sudden you'll have people who haven't grown up in church. But right now we have a field that has been sown already and it needs to be reaped. We need to open our eyes and realize that the per person I spend 8 hours a day with, 10 hours a day with, 12 hours a day with, they've heard the gospel before, many of them, not all of them. The, the seed has been planted and they're ready to be reaped. And we come in with the gospel again and we come out on what they've been taught as a child and all of a sudden they start thinking back to their time as a child and what they learned and what they heard and now they hear it fresh again now that God loves you and He sent His Son for you.
And even though you're a sinner, God, knowing you are a sinner, still commendeth His love towards you, and that while you're yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And even though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. There's a field right in front of us. And it's white and ready to harvest. What's your purpose? It should be to do God's will. What's your priority? It should be to harvest. And then lastly, what is your plan? If I may give you three simple steps. Number one, sow the seed. Seed today have already been sown, but sow it again. Replant. Throw the seed out there. What is that? We, we use different illustrations in the Bible, and we see a whole parable on this, but sowing the seed, spreading the seed, getting the gospel out. You can start with a gospel track. I've told you this before. If you give someone a gospel track and you say, um, hey, I'd like you to read this. It's something from my church. I'd like you to read this and tell me what you think about it sometime. And we come back and we say, hey, did you get a chance to read that? They say, yes. What did you think about it? That's a seed being planted. It can be done in conversation. You don't have to just pass out a track. You can actually share the gospel with them. And you can go through the gospel with them. And you can ask them, have you ever heard this before? Has there ever been a time in your life where you understood you were a sinner and that you needed Jesus to save you? Has there ever been a time in your life where you called upon the name of the Lord? You can use different terminology. It's fine. But the point is, sow the seed. Get them the gospel. Number two, invite them to church. The great thing about church is there's a group of people that come and sit down and they listen to the Bible. Sometimes one-on-one conversation can be hard for even the listener. It can be awkward sometimes. Invite them to church. It's not near as awkward to be sitting in a group of people as the seed is being sown or as the seed is being watered because you've already sown the seed. And it's giving a chance for the seed to to take root. I remember um, uh, Adam mentioned Shelby today. He invited Shelby to come. And Shelby came to our Valentine's banquet, our very first year um, as a church. And we were excited. Shelby and his wife came, and and, uh, we'd been praying for him. And uh, the speaker was speaking. He was giving a clear gospel presentation. Shelby got up and, and walked out, coughing, I believe, if I remember right. And... uh, you know, me and Adam talked afterward, and Adam talked to Shelby afterwards too. And, and he didn't leave until the gospel was really being, if I can use the word hammered, it was really being taught. And that's when he got, well, I had a cough. If I remember right, that's what he said. I had an itchy throat or something like that. You see, it doesn't mean that just because the seed has been planted and just because the seed's being watered that that person will, it will take root in them. It doesn't mean that every single person we share the gospel with is going to be saved. But what it means is we need to keep on trying. Keep on planting. Keep on watering. Stay with it. If you invite them to church, that that helps. It's part of the process. Sow the seed, invite them to church, and then number three, just show them Christ. This woman goes back into the city and she gets her neighbors and she says, come and see. Literally, that's what she said. Come and see, verse 29. Come see a man which told me all the things I ever did, is not this the Christ? We talk about our testimony with the people who we're sharing the gospel with. This is where I was in my life. And everybody's is different. I was saved very young. When I pastored in Indiana, um, 
uh, Pastor Scott, he'll be here in July with us. Um, he told me, he said, Pastor, he said, you have a, a boring testimony. And I said, thank you. He meant it as a kind of a diss. You have a boring testimony. You're saved as a kid. Nothing exciting happened, you know. Um, he was saved in prison. A couple years later, he came back and he said, I wish I had a boring testimony. Sometimes we get enamored, and I'm all for really neat testimonies. I love to hear when people were living in, in, in sin and, and going through hard things in their life, and then they realized they needed Christ and they came to Him. I'm 100% for that. We, want, we love to hear testimonies. But I'm thankful I didn't have to go through drugs and prison in order to understand my need for Christ. But with our testimony, how, no matter how boring it is, it is a way to show Christ to other people. There is times where because of your circumstances, because of your life before salvation, you have an opportunity to reach people that maybe wouldn't listen to me. Because I was saved as a child, grew up in a very uh, clean home, and raised by very good parents, and, and went through Bible college and all that kind of stuff. And, and they say, well, they can't relate with that guy. He doesn't understand what I'm going through. And there may be other people who do understand what they're going through better than I do and have an opportunity that I don't have. But no matter what your testimony is, show people Christ. And it starts in your life and, and what you've gone through and what you've experienced and how, how you met Christ. The time that you were sitting at the well and Christ came to you and said, I can offer you living water. Because that's all the woman did. She met Christ, and then she went and said, hey, come and see this Christ that I just met. And that's all that you have to do too. When you're talking with someone who's known you for a long time, if you were saved later in life, it's pretty simple. Hey, you remember me when I was young. See, for me, the people you, you've met, some of the people in my past that have come through, and, and uh, we had a guy show up on a Wednesday night, and most of you weren't here, but uh, a guy showed up on a Wednesday night, and he knew some, some stories about me that I really didn't want you guys to know. And, uh, and thankfully, he didn't share them with you. But it wasn't, still is not the same. I, I believe there's still the benefit in they can see where I was and where I've come to, but it was a difference between, it wasn't salvation, it was just me waking up and following God as opposed to not following God. The same can be true, though, with, with your coworkers, with family members, with anybody. Hey, this is, this is how I met Christ. This is when Christ became real to me. This is when I started my relationship with Christ. I want you to, to see that. I want you to meet this, this same Christ. Understand, number one, you're no more special than your neighbor. Take opportunities with the gospel when they're there. And they are there a lot. Whether or not we take advantage of them is another thing. Then, have you met Jesus? If you have, and go get your neighbors. Have a plan. Sow the seed. Invite them to church. Show them Christ. Know what your priorities are. Know what your purpose is. And follow those things. But go get your neighbor. We're going to stress this all throughout the year. Let's go get them. Find a person. Have a name. Pray about that name. God, I want this person to come to church with me. Make that happen. Then go invite. Go pester. Go annoy. 
Hey, come to church with me. Come to church with me. We'll feed you lunch for free. Go get them. You met God at the well. Go back into town and bring as many people back with you as you can so they can meet them also. Lord, I pray for your help. We need it. Without you, we are nothing, but with you, all things are possible. Christ, I've heard the testimony of, of almost everybody in this room today. And I know that there's been a time where they met you at the well and they received the living water. God, would you help us now to be effective? Lord, would you help us now uh, to take initiative? Lord, would you help us now to go out and get our neighbors and bring them back? Lord, may we love our neighbors the way we're supposed to. May you get rid of the barriers that are in our heart, whether it be uh, of, of any kind of prejudice or fear. God, would you take that away from us so that we can openly love our neighbors the way that you intended for us to? God, I pray that you'd help us to clear our hearts out of any of this, this pride that makes us think that we're more special or more deserving than those around us. And Christ, as we see you talking to a Samaritan woman who at that time no other Jew would have done, God, may we, may we follow your example and speak with everyone about the gospel. God, I pray that you'd help us to go get our neighbors. Remind us of our purpose and the will that you have for our life. God, help us to set the priorities that we understand the field is ready right now. And it's right in front of us. And God, help us to have a plan with your help of how to approach these neighbors with the gospel, with an invitation to church, with just Christ's love. Lord, help us. I do pray. In Jesus' name, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to ask you this one question today. We'll not have an invitation time. Which neighbor of yours needs you to share the gospel with them? Have a name. Someone that you know, because we all know people. Which neighbor are you going to go get? It's Christ's job to do the saving, but it is our job to present the gospel. So I ask you again, what neighbor are you going to get? If you have a name on your heart that you're going to pray about this week, would you mind just raising your hand? So i got a name of someone, a neighbor that I need to go get. They're on my heart. I'm praying for them this week. Just slip your hand up. i got a name. Okay. Ask God to help you to get that neighbor. Lord, we can't do it without you. And it's not has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with you. So God, help us with these names that are on our hearts. Lord, as we go and reach out, as we go out to do our part to follow in obedience to what you've given to us to do, Lord, would you help us to see a positive result from our effort? We know that, that there was some that it just takes time. There are some that, that we'll never know the result. And that can be discouraging at times for us, Lord, but help us to be patient and faithful to trust you for the results. And God, help us with these specific people that are on our hearts this morning as we go out to get them 
to invite them to come to the well and meet this Christ. God, give us wisdom. God, give us boldness. And God, give us peace as we go get these neighbors. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, go get your neighbor this week. Uh, but before you go get your neighbor, go get breakfast. Uh, today for lunch, we've got breakfast for lunch. We've got enough food for everybody, so we'd love to have everybody stay.